0: Representative Alana Rubel, House Minority Leader, thanks for joining us this week.
1: I am so happy to be here.
0: Things are picking up around the State House. Legislation is moving and some of it's moving quickly. Um, first, I wanted to ask you about House Bill 18, which has to do with workers' compensation. And I know this was a big priority for your caucus this year. Can you tell me about the bill and what it would change?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this bill. Uh, this would provide po- uh, coverage under workers' compensation for post-traumatic stress injuries for first responders and make that coverage permanent. We did it on a trial balloon basis a few years ago to make sure it wouldn't be excessively costly. Uh, so now we're three years into it, the costs are very manageable, and so we're looking to make it permanent, because uh, our first responders just see and experience unimaginable things on the job, and it's, it's, we thought, very important that we give them the coverage for those types of injuries.
0: And so that's been covered for the last couple years, that's just yeah. making sure that stays in place now?
1: Yes, and it has saved lives, and I hope we'll continue to do so, and it uh, remarkably went through the House on a unanimous vote, and it cleared Senate Committee, and I hope it's well on its way.
0: Okay. Well, shifting gears a little bit to a House bill that did not make it through on a unanimous (laughs) vote. Uh, There's a bill moving that would get rid of the Joint Legislative Oversight Committee and change management of the Office of Performance Evaluations. Uh, You've been a member of that committee of JLOC for a long time. You spoke passionately on the floor this week uh, against the change. Can you run me through some of your concerns?
1: Um, I think this bill is uh, one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous thing, making its way through the legislature right now. And part of what makes it so dangerous is lack of public awareness. So I'm very happy to be here, um, helping to inform the public on this. The Office of Performance Evaluations um, does, they're kind of our watchdog in state government. um, And as all watchdogs should be, they have neutral nonpartisan oversight. Uh, They are overseen by. By a perfectly balanced bipartisan committee called the Joint Legislative Oversight Committee with four Republicans, four Democrats, uh, that has worked remarkably well. This has been our system in place for 30 years uh, and it has worked like a dream. There's, it's been a model in these hyper-partisan times. This has been a model of bipartisan collaboration and cooperation. Um, and the result has been the o- Office of Performance Evaluations has yielded incredibly impactful, important, and informative studies. Uh, and really so many of the things that have happened in state government came out of these, I'll call it OPE reports. Uh, The reason we're talking right now about fixing school facilities is because of an OPE report that showed $870 million in school building repairs needed, you know, roofs, plumbing. Uh, The reason we're talking right now about paying school classified personnel, special ed folks, et cetera, more is because this study by OPE showed that the state is only covering 60% of their salaries and local taxpayer, local property taxpayers having to pick up the rest. Um, They illuminate very serious problems in our state mental institution. Uh, many violent attacks that dead patients were being reported as just fine. <laughs> um, they have uncovered really important things that have driven critical legislative changes. Um, and this bill, if it goes through, would end neutral oversight. It would put it under basically Republican leadership control, but it would completely gut the mission of OPE. Um, they would not be able to do these deep dives evaluations anymore, really under what they're proposing.
0: Sure. Tell me a little bit more about that. because. Currently, JLoc requests reports from OPE and they do a a number of these evaluations each year. What would the bill change about that audit and evaluation scope?
1: Yeah, they would completely change their mission. Uh, so right now, as you noted, they do about between three and five um, evaluations a year. There's only eight people that work for OPE, so it's a pretty small agency, if you can even call eight people an agency. <laughs> um, but they are small but mighty. They do amazingly impactful work, but they really only have bandwidth to do three or five of these, three to five of these deep dive analyses a year. What this bill proposes is that their mission is completely altered, that they now are supposed to review every contract for every government agency every year year. Um, that alone would be impossible for these eight people to do and there's no proposal of adding staff um, and that they're supposed to provide just general oversight of the performance of every executive agency that is nothing like what they do now this is you're talking a 20,000 foot overview I think if realistically in terms of what eight, eight people can do in overseeing every single agency and every single um, contract plus we already have an audit function under the legislative services office um, so it's you know it almost seems a bit redundant of that but it's it's nothing like what they do now in terms of really doing deep investigative evaluations.
0: A majority of Republicans voted for the bill. It was not quite a party, not quite a party line vote, but very close. Have you talked to your counterparts over in the Senate um, about how it will fare over there?
1: Well, interestingly, I did hear from some of my counterparts in the House. Um, a number of folks came up to me and said, you know, we have real concerns about this bill, but um, leadership made it clear that we had to vote for this bill. Um, so I think there was some very heavy pressure applied behind the scenes to pass this bill. Um, they do, they, for whatever reason, uh, they don't like OP and they don't like JLOC, and this is getting rammed. Um, I am going to be commencing conversations with on the Senate side. Um, and I certainly hope you know so many people have benefited from these OPE studies over the years. Um, those in you know, uh, those suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia, that was one of the impactful studies. Um, really anybody in the education or healthcare sphere should be speaking up um, to defend OPE and JLOC. Um, so I certainly hope all those people will come out of the woodwork and speak up to the Senate and maybe this can be stopped in the Senate. I hope the public will speak up too.
0: Uh, Last week when we had Speaker Moyle on the show, he said he was waiting to see how the bill fared in the Senate before he appointed the House members to the Legislative Oversight Committee. Um, What reports are currently pending that JLOC can't take up before those uh, members are appointed?
1: Yeah, there's actually a very important report right now that was requested by um, the developmental disabilities folks on compensation of um, care providers, that they they need that report now. Uh, this is this informs policy, that's why we have these reports, so that we can have the facts we need to make decisions about funding and policy and all these other things, and we're in the heat of it right now. Uh, they have come to me desperately almost every day saying where's our report, and it can't be released because um, Speaker Moyle won't allow the committee to meet. Um, so we're really pushing to see if he will at least let us meet for this limited purpose of allowing this report to be released. Uh, but you know, it is it is needed now.
0: Okay. Another bill that has made it through the House is related to the Idaho Launch Program, which is one of the big headline topics that was in the governor's State of the State Address, uh, essentially workforce training for Idaho graduates going to Idaho institutions. Uh, That passed the House by a single vote. A majority of the Republican caucus voted against it with all the Democrats voting in favor. Um, Tell me about this bill and some of your takeaways from the floor debate.
1: Yeah, uh, it was a very uh, intense floor debate. (coughs) Pardon me. And again, it passed by one vote. Every single Democrat voted in favor, which is really what saved the bill. Because, as you noted, a majority of Republicans opposed it. Um, You know, some of them looked at it as a giveaway to industry, um, and they thought that you know the business world should be doing their own work on training employees. Uh, You know, typically, I think we see education as more of a public function in in Idaho, but but you know only up through the K-12 level. I was really pleased to see it pass because I guess philosophically, I feel the world has changed a little bit. When we set up the public education system in the early part of the 20th century, I think the idea was that a high school education would get most people a job. And anything beyond that, you were on your own if you wanted to get a fancy pants degree from somewhere, but that generally for most people, a high school diploma would get you whatever job you needed. The world has changed and it's not that way anymore. And most people really are gonna need something more than high school to get a a decent paying job that'll pay the bills. Uh, and so, Philosophically, you know, maybe the equivalent of a high school diploma in 1950 is now a community college diploma in 2023.
0: Sure, an associate's degree or something. <laughs>
1: exactly, an associate's degree, a welding diploma, you know, certificate. I mean, something that gives you that additional bit of training. So I was very happy, but um, there was definitely a lot of disagreement on that. And this is certainly not the first time that Democrats have saved the day. We have a long history of saving dozens of critical budgets.
0: Sure, let's talk a little bit about that and the kind of the internal politics of the House. Uh, I believe you have a list with you of some budgets (laughs) that have passed with the majority of Republicans against but have gone through the chamber because of Democrats.
1: Yes, I do, and it's too long a list to memorize, so I'm gonna quickly rattle it off, but these are uh, budgets in the last year or two uh, that were saved only because every Democrat voted yes when a majority of Republicans had voted no. Uh, One of them is Idaho Public Television, but uh, Department of Public Health, Supreme Court, full-day kindergarten, affordable workforce housing, Division of Medicaid, Commission on Hispanic Affairs, Commission on Aging, Department of Health and Welfare, Division of Human Rights, Resources, Division of Financial Management, the Attorney General's Office, Child Care Assistance, Developmental Disabilities Council, Commission on the Arts, Domestic Violence Council, Workforce Development Council, Office of Species Conservation, Idaho State Lottery Office of Energy and Mineral Resources.
0: That is quite the list.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh,
0: What do you think it says about the current state of Idaho politics that such a big program like the Idaho launch expansion that's being pushed by industry, being pushed by the Republican governor of the state, what do you think it says about the politics that it wasn't able to make it through your chamber with the majority of Republicans in support?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, to some extent, I think in recent years, we've seen Idaho turn a little bit into a three-party state where I think the Republican Party has largely split uh, between a very, you know, a much more far-right contingent that is, you know, much more, I know, mean, maybe libertarian, but, you know, opposed to government functions and a branch that is maybe more traditional Republican um, that sees more of a place for, for the role of government. Sure. And uh, so we certainly saw that schism on display, but we see it on display in a lot of, I mean, there are a number, more so last year maybe in the House, but there are a number that will just vote no on almost every budget.
0: As the Idaho launch bill moves over to the Senate now, uh, do you think we're gonna see any amendments to address some of those changes that were brought up on the House floor?
1: Well, you know, I, I know there's been some talk about that. I think uh, anybody who wants to see this thing pass should not give the House another bite at that apple as if they amend it in the Senate. That means it has to survive another House vote. And when you have a bill that barely squeaked through by the skin of its teeth by one vote, you know, I'm not sure you want to run those odds again. Uh, so uh, you know, I guess uh, my my advice to anybody who wants to see this thing become law would be to uh, not monkey with it on the on the Senate side and not risk another House vote because you know who knows how that would turn out. I'm sure folks would get unimaginable pressure on a second time around to vote no.
0: Okay. Um, one final topic I want to touch on. the Judiciary and Rules Committee passed a bill regarding uh, gender affirming health care for transgender youth. Uh, it's made it out of committee, has not yet been taken up on the floor of the House as we're talking Friday morning. What are your caucus's concerns with that legislation?
1: Yeah, I suspect that bill will be up on a, on a vote this morning um, on the floor. I am so deeply concerned. Uh, I have friends I'm going to lose, I think, from, from the state if that bill goes through. Um, wonderful, loving parents uh, whose kids need this care. Um, and I think it's very misunderstood. I think everybody looks at this and they're like, ah, they're mutilating children. We got to stop this. Uh, that is so not. What's going on here? You know, these are really well-trained professionals with a very well-developed body of 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 skill and norms. They're not going to run in on some kid who just decided last week that they're transgender. These are this is only going to be care, and a lot of it is really hormonal and puberty suppressors to give a kid, you know, time to. (laughs) not have to go through the permanent irreversible changes that happen with puberty. Um, But again, if you're transitioning from male to female, your lifelong success in that transition, whether you do it pre-puberty or after, is going to be very impacted. If you wait until you're six feet tall with an Adam's apple and broad shoulders, you will never be able to transition in the same sense that you could pre-puberty. Um, But they only do this with kids that have known since birth that they were trans. These parents have agonized about it for hundreds of hours with counseling from therapists and doctors and you name it. And they have concluded that this is the only path that will save their child from suicide. And to deny them that path uh, puts them in a horrible, horrible quandary uh, where they really have to, I think in many cases, look at moving out of state to save their children's lives. And I hate to see this state make felons out of loving parents or, or force them to become refugees out of the state of Idaho, but I think that's what this bill will do.
0: As we're seeing such hot button topics, or excuse me, hot button conversations nationally around topics like transgender health care, sex education, uh, concerns about grooming of children, do you think that there's room to have a nuanced discussion about this, or is this an issue that's become too politicized?
1: I mean, I think the nuanced discussion has very much already happened within the parent and medical community. Um, It is absolutely not the case that people are rushing in and recklessly doing surgeries. I mean, surgeries, I don't know that they happen at all in Idaho, frankly, certainly bottom surgery is not happening on minors, period. Um, Really what we're looking at overwhelmingly is is this hormone treatment. And in all these cases, they have spent so much time going through, you know, the medical details and the particulars of that case and the psychological implications. I mean, every one of these cases has had six months of agonizing by parents and professionals and the kids. Um, there is nothing reckless or, 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 you know, unduly dangerous happening right now. Period. It has been solved by parents and by the medical community. They do not need the heavy hand of government coming in and overruling the best decisions of parents and doctors. And we would never do that in any other area. You know, no matter how many doctors in the world said your kid ought to get a vaccine? The Idaho legislature would never come in and order parents that they have to get their kid a vaccine. Uh, You know, there's no other medical procedure imaginable where the legislature would come in and order parents over their own best judgment and the best judgment of doctors and tell them what they have to do or what they cannot do. This is really an outlier and an unfortunate one.
0: All right. House Minority Leader Elena Rubel, thanks for your time this week.
1: Thank you.